everyone. Welcome to the Tarwood Podcast. This is your host, Kutal Mehra. All right, my guest today is Kanchan Gupta, and uh, we are going to be talking about the violent Bhadralok in Bengal. But just to give you a brief idea about why we are talking about this, so in March, I think it was the third week, if I remember correctly, of March, or or around the third or the fourth week of March, we had the horrifying news of eight charred bodies being found in Bengal's Birbhum district, where it all started with the murder of a deputy Pradhan in Bokhui village, and later on the cops found even more bodies. And I had basically written a specific tweet about you know the, the terrible state of law and order in Bengal. And Dada at that time had co-tweeted me and said that if you really want to understand violence in Bengal, you have to go back. So I reached out to Dada, and as always, you know, he's been very kind to me in this podcast that he said, Hello, so Dada, thanks for coming. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're loud and clear, Dada. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kushal, for inviting me once again on your uh, podcast. Uh, you know, uh, I often uh, wonder why is popular uh, memory so short in our country? And why, uh, when it comes to West Bengal or any other state for that matter, we always take today as the beginning of history. It doesn't really work like that. And uh, in West Bengal, if you have to understand the deep-rootedness of the culture of violence. Now, the reason I suggested to you that we should call this the violent Bhadralok of uh, Bengal is that there is this uh, uh, notion that Bengal and Bengalis are about uh, Bhadralok, uh, that is uh, the cultured Bengali, the the so sophisticated Bengali, the uh, metropolitan mm -hmm. Bengali. Uh, but uh, it is not quite uh, that way. And, and history tells us that it has never been so. So, so, Dada, when we talk about history, so where do you think we should start when we start look at unpacking the, the history of violence, let's say, in Bengal? Then, then uh, so where do you think? Uh, and also, I have a follow-up question to that. When we say violence in Bengal, what is the nature of this violence? It, it, is it political per se or <laughs> what? Could you maybe explain both? Then maybe we go back, let's say, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and then yeah. what is this? Why is Bengal always burning or simmering in that sense? Well, the way I see it is that uh, violence in Bengal, or rather endemic violence in Bengal, uh, has sort of, uh, there has been a mutation. What began as a romanticization of violence uh, became political violence, and then that uh, transmogrified itself into criminal violence. So, uh, what we see today is not political violence, but it is criminal violence. And uh, going back to the early urge for violence in Bengal and the eastern uh, hinterland, you know, if you look at uh, the freedom struggle, the largest number of revolutionaries uh, who took to the gun, uh, who, who, who sort of... Uh, uh, used bombs and um, a, a, as a means of pushing uh, the freedom struggle uh, and to and to sort of get the British colonial system out of the country, 
that happens in Bengal. And that was the romantic period where, where the Bengali revolutionaries mastered the, uh, uh, whether it is Chittagong uh, uh, Amari or uh, uh, Khudiram Bose or uh, Binoy Badal Dinesh, all of them. And, and there are numerous such instances. Matongini uh, Hajra, I mean, it was not violence, but, but the way she, uh, despite being a Gandhian or a self-declared Gandhian, she uh, sort of responded uh, to the call for freedom. Uh, all that shows that there was an inherent urge uh, to take to violence. And uh, it wasn't sort of to take to violence for criminal purposes or for political purposes. But there it was the freedom struggle. And they felt, that the revolutionary stream felt, that violence was the way forward and not uh, Gandhian non-violence or passivity. So that is how we begin. And uh, that is how we begin. And later, when the politicization of violence begins, that first erupts during the Swadeshi movement. Now, why do I say this? Because Swadeshi movement uh, would be otherwise identified with non-violence, with, with passivity, without, with, a, with assertion of Swadeshi. But in Bengal, it came... It was sort of, uh, it came along with the first partition of Bengal. So there was already a seething rage among Bengalis. And when the Swadeshi movement happens, they, again, there was a, there was a very dominant streak of violence against Lancashire mill-produced uh, fabric uh, and uh, British imports and, and to push for rejection of... Uh, um, um, uh, stuff produced in uh, goods produced in British factories uh, with raw material exported from India, and then the finished product is imported into India and sold in the market. So the, the Swadeshi movement in Bengal was at both levels: the the rejection, the passive rejection, or the peaceful rejection of British pr uh, products and goods. Uh, but it was also there was also a violent streak that came in. Uh, in, in, in sort of in that rejection. And that is where the early politicization of violence begins um, in India. I mean, Tagore's uh, 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 story, Ghore Baire, The Home and the World, which was later made into a film, uh, uh, eponymous film by Satyajit Ray. If you watch that, uh, that, that dichotomy comes in and, and the violent streak comes in. And so the, there was both rejection of violence as well as the embracing of violence. And, and that, in a sense, sort of begins or marks the beginning of political violence in Bengal. All right. So, so I guess it, um, what could be the economic factors in that if I was to try and understand it from that way? Because... Uh, uh, was there any economic factor involved? Was there a, a lacuna in the society where it was just attracting too many people to a violent streak? And uh, it was just because of that and the political system and the 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 the, the, the class warfare, if I was to use a, a Marxist term, was kind of built in to exploit it? No, no. Class, etc. comes in much later. But there was always a sense of deprivation uh, as far as Bengal and Bengalis were concerned. And this, uh, you see, before independence, 1946, uh, direct action day in Calcutta happens. That was 
uh, one of the most horrific uh, uh, pre-partition riots or partition-related mm-hmm. riots uh, in India. Uh, and uh, uh, that was immediately followed by the Noakali riots. And, and, and while a lot of uh, academic research and public commentary has uh, uh, played around the Calcutta killing, the great Calcutta killing, as the direct action day killings were um, uh, called. Uh, uh, but if you if you look at the the nature the 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 the, the scope the, the the nature and the and the and the and, and the details of the Noakali riots that far uh, uh, surpasses the direct action day violence. So that is that is how West Bengal comes into being. I mean, partition happens and West Bengal is created. Uh, east, the eastern part uh, becomes East Pakistan, and and it was it was very very it was a very violent partition. Uh, again, most academic work and public commentary and politics is uh, centered around partition in the West, the partition of Punjab, uh, but very little is ever talked about or written about or uh, or told about. The violence that was attendant with partition in the east. Now, so this this sort of makes violence largely political in Bengal, and from there, after independence, after 1947, what happens? The first act of the Nehru government, the first act with West Bengal, was to slash West Bengal's share of jute export. Uh, um, duties. So there was substantial jute ex- being exported from Bengal, both raw and finished. Uh, the, 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 raw, uh, the raw jute would come from the eastern part. The mills were in the western part. Mills were along the Hooghly River. And the exports which happened, the uh, substantial earnings um, uh, came with, that, with those exports uh, through by way of duties. The first act of the Nehru government was to slash West Bengal's share of those export duties. So uh, a, a, a newly independent country, a, a state which has suffered the horrors of partition, um, a state flooded with refugees from the east, struggling to somehow stay afloat. And what do you do? You, you strike at the economy of the state. And then subsequent actions of the Nehru government uh, starting 1947, going into the 1960s, uh, uh, we see repeated uh, attempts to fundamentally alter the nature of West Bengal's economy. It, it was it was Calcutta and its hinterland, where where the industrialized parts of India. It wasn't Bombay or Maharashtra or Gujarat or any other state. The, the 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 most industrialized state in the country was West Bengal, and and you know the the, the, the it it had a it had a huge flourishing uh, forging industry. It was called the Sheffield of the East, and you killed all of that. Successive policies of the Nehru government killed all of that. The the freight equalization policy. It 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 was the final blow in the coffin, and. So this this kind of economic deprivation, this kind of economic uh, uh, denial, 
to West Bengal's needs and necessities created its own anger. And the, and the Bengalis started increasingly feeling that there was a considered attempt to deprive him or, or her of uh, uh, rightful dues. And this we see erupting into the first uh, uh, very public uh, display of political anger through violence when the Calcutta Tramways Company in 1953, if I'm not wrong, decided to raise the second class fare of trams by a couple of paise. So it was, a, it was, a, it was, today we would, we would laugh at it, but the fact that people ran riot, the working class ran riot over a fare increase, uh, a second class tram, a tram fare increase of a few paise, two paise or three paise shows the amount of anger which had built up, showed the sense of deprivation which had, uh, which had been created. And uh, from that point onwards, political violence becomes a becomes a part of politics in West Bengal. So, so this is very interesting. It is almost as if the decisions taken by the first government of India creates a disastrous situation that leaves a huge gap in society which is naturally being then exploited by others in the society. But if I was to ask you this question, and, and I'm purposely doing this, Dada, so that you explain it even further to me, that what was different between Punjab and Bengal in that sense? Uh, let's Because we are talking about the partition. Now, Punjab was partitioned, right? Now, not that Punjab has not seen its fair state of violence, especially in the mid to late 80s and the early mid, mid up to the mid-90s, Punjab burnt. But the point is, after partition, what was so unique in Bengal that was not there in Punjab, let's say, for that matter. You know, this is something which uh, which has been only superficially looked into. Uh, there was always uh, a sense of obligation when it came to uh, the Nehru government. Uh, and I purposefully say the Nehru government because he was the sole karta dharta vidata at that point of time and nobody else's views mattered uh, he laid down both policy program and uh, uh, approach so uh, when it came to partition in the west and its fallout the approach was entirely different so uh, i'm not suggesting that refugees from the west were welcome but there was a greater empathy there was a there was greater support for refugees who came in from west pa uh, west punjab or west pakistan um, uh, and uh, the, the settlement programs the assistance programs the 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 the, the support programs uh, the, the, there were far too many compared to what happened in the east and in fact nehru kept on writing to vidhan uh, chandra roy who was the chief minister and he was a congress chief minister so he kept in his letters to B.C. Roy, there are several references where he keeps on saying that please stop people, please stop Bengalis from coming uh, um, uh, into West Bengal from East Pakistan. Uh, and, and, and it was it was very evident that uh, the, the, the Hindu Bengali 
from East Pakistan was not welcome in India. I mean, I, I can give you numerous examples. You you had refugee resettlement programs for uh, refugees who came in from West Pakistan or West Punjab. Uh, uh, but uh, there were no such refugee settlement programs for uh, Hindu Bengalis who came in from uh, East Pakistan. They were put up in, in shanty camps without without toilets, without drinking water, without uh, electric supply. Uh, and those camps were labeled permanent liability camps. What, what could be more denigrating, more insulting, more humiliating... Uh, more denuding of self-respect than to be shoved into a camp which which was called uh, uh, permanent liability camp. And each camp was numbered. So you had uh, PLC 1, PLC 2, PLC 3, and that, that's how it went. And, and, and that was the approach. That was the attitude. And that anger later also coalesces. That, that sense of being treated in such a horrific manner later coalesces uh, and erupts in political violence in, in, in Bengal. And, and and I could I could go on and on, but maybe you want to ask something. Yeah, so this is actually heartbreaking that the government could use language like this. Like nobody raised an eyebrow when such language was used, Dada. Well uh, you know my, my 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 parents came as refugees. My father came as a refugee. I know. Uh, yeah. He was he was in his teens when when he came across uh, to this country and 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 uh, for them it was a constant struggle it was it was uh, from from the moment of arrival it was a struggle to stay afloat to stay alive uh, uh, you know uh, Kushal uh, one of the one of the sad facts of life is that uh, in happy times we are willing to share we are willing to give we are you know even within families we give we share we we contribute but in difficult times friends families turn their faces away and each refugee was left to fend for himself the the I, 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 you know, there was no sort of system that you came in. You had to register. Mind you, you had to register yourself as a refugee. And, and that refugee certificate was absolutely needed to be able to stay on in this country. So the first thing which my father did or my, my father and his mother and the, uh, his siblings were too small at that time, was to go and stand in a queue and get that refugee certificate. So where was the time for any anger? The second thing they, they had to do was think about where was the next meal going to come from. The third thing which they had to do was whether they could find a job for my father. I mean, he, he started working at a very young age to put food on the table. So where was the time to feel angry? To feel, I mean, there was a lot of time to feel bitter, to feel uh, um, uh, humiliated. But I don't think anger, the anger was a was sort of uh, a luxury at that point of time. But as I said, the 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 anger which which was sort of building up in inside them, it it comes to the fore and bursts forth in the 1960s. Yeah. 
so 1960s mein dada now i want to read the tweet that you had co-tweeted me this led to this podcast so aapne specifically usme ek kuch likha tha ki murderous political violence was always there it got mainstreamed in 1960s with the advent of the united front governments uh, since then violence as politics has been the norm class struggle of yesterday is khela hobe of today now now let's get into the 1960s uh, dada so what exactly did the united front governments do no so you know west bengal was i think uh, the first state where the congress collapsed and, mm-hmm. and rightly so uh, you know koshal i i i often make this point and i just want to go back slide back a bit and just retrade this point Please. my 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 father my parents my 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 people they were put into camps which were labeled uh, permanent liability camps so we were supposed to be permanent liabilities of the government of india of this country now if you look at it this way between my father my brother myself my uncles uh, my larger family we would have paid way more taxes to the government of india and we are happy we we paid those taxes happily we we contributed happily because this was our country this was the only country we had so whatever we could do we did for this country because this country had given us a place when we had nowhere to go but if i were to do if i were to tabulate and just calculate forget my father even if i were to tabulate the taxes which i have paid in my life that would be way more the taxes which nehru's khandan has paid do in their entire lifetime i can take a bet on that and i'm i'm i will be happy to lose that bet but i can take a bet on that so what permanent liability what liability if there is any permanent liability that nehru has left behind it is his khandan but moving on now coming back to the 1960s now why is why is it important that we look at 1960s in bengal very closely the congress collapses the congress sort of dissipates crumbles and there is a faction of the congress and several other parties which come together and form what is called the united front government and uh and in 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 the the, the sort of the split in the communist party had happened in 1964 so you had you had the cpim and the cpi and and jyoti basu who was in the cpim uh, he convinces the cpim that we should join the government this is our uh, moment in the sun and this is the launch pad that we have been looking for and in in the late 1960s 1966 67 uh, the the united front government comes to power and jyoti basu is the deputy chief minister and the home minister and that is where the political legitimization of violence begins so it 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 happens on three fronts you have there was this famous historic uh, brigade ground rally where jyoti basu read out the the principles of governance or the principles of governance as perceived and conceived by the cpim the marxists uh, and one of them was that 
labor shall have the right to protest in any manner it wishes to and 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 that takes shape and form by by way of what came to be known as gherao now gherao was not a very uh, uh, it, it never it never existed or even if it existed it was never a, a very prominent method of protest but in bengal what happens is that gherao becomes a very violent method of protest uh, uh, managers were gherao owners were gherao uh, in fact there were some there were instances where uh, 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 people died i mean people who were gherawed they died or or some uh, there was one instance where the manager of a company he had to, it was a british company british owned company and i, I will not take names because uh, 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 his descendant may not like his name being taken but this this family the uh, the, uh, uh, the british owners had to arrange for the manager and his family to be flown out of calcutta to london so th th their lives were at threat uh, th their lives were endangered even after the gherao was over and th this was the scale of uh, political or, or the of the protests that were happening this was one part of it so you see that the ruling party or one of the ruling parties in the ruling coalition sanctifies political violence by way of labor violence that 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 is one part the second part is after the split in the communist party you had the marxists and you had the cpi and then a third faction emerges that is the far left so over 68 69 the, the third fact the third group emerges and that is the communist party of india marxist leninist popularly known as the naxalites and and they bring in uh, so if the, if the marxists were sanctifying working class violence the the far left or the of the naxals bring in uh, class as the, uh, class war as justification for violence and the the scope of the naxal violence was much wider than that of the marxist sponsored violence because they were targeting representatives of the state uh, uh, the, the uh, policemen were attacked and killed uh, the um, uh, politicians and political workers were attacked uh, the uh, the vice chancellor of jadavpur Jadav university was killed uh, and uh, in a very macab uh, manner uh, in in a macab display of political violence the statue of uh, ishwar chandra vidyasagar was decapitated so so that, that, and, and and you know it was symbolic but it nonetheless represented the nature of the violence <coughs> and the third part of it was the, was the counter violence that happens so you had you had you had the marxist violence you had the uh, marxist leninist violence and and you had the counter violence of the state so uh, there are two successive united front governments you have one you have two uh, the governments fail the governments get dismissed governor's rule is uh, governor takes over president's rule is imposed and between 
the fall of the second United Front government and the imposition of president's rule and the next election, uh, which is held, uh, the, the entire state is under president's rule and there is huge repression that happens. So anybody who is considered to be opposed to the state or opposed to the Congress is sort of neutralized. And for those who are listening to this uh, podcast, uh, uh, the Jhumpa Lahiri's book, uh, it is called, uh, the name now escapes my mind. So you you should read that book because that although it's it's fictional, uh, but it it's fiction, but it it sort of uh, gives a very vivid picture of the times. And uh, this interregnum is used to crush all left opposition. There is the, uh, the brutalities are manifold. Uh, the army is called in, and uh, the and, and Siddhartha Shankar Ray, who was the rising star of the Congress, he plays a leading role. In one particular incident, um, um, leftists were um, picked up, young boys and girls were picked up. They were killed and then their bodies were dipped into, you know, those um, uh, big machines in which you melt uh, tar to lay roads. So their bodies were dipped into those into the molten tar and then dumped so that they would never be... Uh, people would never figure out whose body it was. So that was the kind of counter-violence happening. And and the other side was no less brutal. So this is the backdrop of the, of, of, of the transition from romanticization of violence to political violence. And later, when Siddharth Shankar Ray becomes the chief minister and the Congress is in power through the emergency, uh, the counter brutality happens so what the hell was the central government doing in this entire process when bengal was burning and so much violence and counter violence is happening you know kushal the the central government who was in power indira gandhi was in power and, and she herself was a very ruthless autocrat uh, uh, and uh, Siddharth Shankar Ray had full had her full support in unleashing violence of the state. So, but again, I keep on as I keep on saying that the, the counter violence or the violence by the state follows or runs simultaneously with violence by political entities that the Naxalites. Uh, uh, so, Siddharth Shankar Ray is credited with crushing the Naxalite movement. Uh, at least uh, the first round of the movement, and uh, it's a fact that he he sort of crushed it. He 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 ran a bulldozer over it. Uh, people were just picked up and shot dead. People were picked up and and they just disappeared. Uh, so the two words come move into the lexicon during this period. The first is first word is gherau. Gherau becomes a part of the Oxford English Dictionary which explains what gherau means. And the other word was Ferrari. 
not to be i mean confused with uh, the with a ferrari or whatever uh, ferrari means somebody who's missing mm-hmm. and 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 all the young boys sounds a lot the... like farar uh, yeah it is it is it is it derives from that and uh, so numerous boys and girls went missing some resurfaced some uh, somewhere found uh, somewhere found dead or somewhere presumed dead but there were a huge number they they have been forgotten they have been forgotten because even their families have forgotten them who went missing during that period and were never heard of again so the the 60s 70s or the first half of the 70s in fact the till about uh, till 1977 uh, starting from 65 to 77 it was it was a terrible terrible time in west bengal and it, it, it was also very terrifying सिद्धार्थ was marshaling state violence or or counter violence by the congress workers to put down the left in west bengal so she had her training well so matlab samajh mein nahi aata so i was just trying to look at the history of bengal so again you have inc inc then jaise aapne bola you have bangla congress united front then you had a independent chief minister if i remember it was prafulla chandra ghosh फिर वापस बांग्ला कांग्रेस आती है फिर प्रेसिडेंट्स रूल आईएनसी, अगेन प्रेसिडेंट्स रूल देन आईएनसी, सिद्धार्थ शंकर रे देन देन नाउ व्हाट हैपेंस इट्स ऑलमोस्ट एज इफ यू नो दिस इज लाइक ओलंपिक मैराथन रन वो टॉर्च लेके भाग रहे हैं एक आदमी दूसरे को टॉर्च देता है फिर वो आदमी वायलेंस करता है अभी यहाँ पे आई थिंक इफ आई रिमेम्बर करेक्टली दर इज अराउंड सेवेंटी सेवन राइट दादा जब कम्युनिस्ट पार्टी पावर में आना शुरू हो जाती है यस आई मीन आफ्टर आफ्टर इमरजेंसी व्हेन इलेक्शंस वर हेल्ड इन वेस्ट बंगाल अलोंग विद मेनी अदर स्टेट्स द सीपीएम स्वेप्ट टू पावर एंड द लेफ्ट फ्रंट सो दे कम टू पावर एंड ज्योति बासु बिकम्स चीफ मिनिस्टर सो बिटवीन 1977 एंड ओवर द नेक्स्ट थर्टी इयर्स the left front is in power in west bengal and the principles which jyoti basu had declared from uh, uh, brigade parade ground when 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 he was with the united front government in the late 1960s those principles are revised and put into motion one of the things which they do and although uh, i mean this this is violence in 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 a different form uh, the land reforms which they brought in that is uh, operation borga where uh, where sharecroppers were given right uh, to land and uh, that institutionalized or that emboldened uh, violence at the at the village level so the the sharecropper becomes more ag- aggressive more assertive 
and that is a violence which which starts it's incipient to begin with but then it starts building up then you also have the panchayats panchayati raj happening and the empowerment of the panchayats the huge amount of money they they get to decide on all that adds they, they the panchayats and the local um, uh, chieftains of the party then they start using violence as a means to assert their control to assert their uh, political power now apart from this what also happens is the transition of political violence into criminal violence now i will give you one example uh, the cpm cpm workers they attacked a very prominent uh, the house of a very prominent Congress family, old Congress family, and that house was called Sainbari. And uh, they, they killed the boys. And if you think that Kashmir was the first place where a mother was made to eat rice soaked in the blood of her son, forget it. It happens in West Bengal at Sainbari, where the CPM workers go and kill the kill the sign brothers and then make the mother eat rice mixed with the blood of her of her killed boys and those cpm workers then rise in the party hierarchy uh, and uh, they, they they become party bosses and one of them even becomes or i think two of them became ministers very powerful ministers uh, when the left front was in power so that criminalization of violence then fans out, uh, for instance, uh, in, in the, right in the heart of Calcutta, uh, at, um, on, on the Bijan Setu flyover, uh, Anand Margi uh, monks and nuns were burned alive. So today when you see uh, uh, villages or, 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 or families being burnt alive in a village in West Bengal, uh, the, the 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 backdrop of that is right in the heart of Calcutta. Marxist workers burned alive, Anand Margi nuns and monks. So people have forgotten it. Don't forget the the Marijapi massacre. When 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 the when the Marxists turned against after coming to power. They turned against a group or a, or a, a community of refugees from, the, from East Pakistan who were assured by the Marxists that they would be provided a place in West Bengal and they should not worry. These were people who were shoved off to Dandakaranya and, and, and they found it culturally impossible to live over there because the language was different. It was mosquito malaria infested. Uh, there was no work to be uh, had. There were no jobs around, and survival was almost impossible. And at that time, they were assured that the moment we come back, we come to power, we are going to resettle you in West Bengal. So what happens? The CPM comes to power. The left comes to power in West Bengal. Uh, these poor uh, refugees, and all of them were actually Dalit refugees. They come. They, they, they decide that now that our party, now that the left is, is in power, we can go back to West Bengal. So they come back to West Bengal and they find a small island in the Sundarbans. 
and they go and try to set up their own little shanty homes over there and and jyoti basu then unleashes the state police on them and till date nobody knows you talk of godi media today the media was the media was petrified to write even a word about the marid chapi massacre a, a famous bengali author wrote an entire book on marid chapi no publisher dared publish it so it's it's only now that uh, over the i think a couple of years ago somebody somebody found the manuscript and they have made a pdf file of it and that pdf file is circulated uh, uh, to people who want to read about it so this was the nature of violence which was happening you had sign you had marid chapi you had sign bari you had bijon setu rape became an instrument of both political power and state power so to control the police you allowed the police to form a police association which was affiliated to the marxists and one of the most uh, 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 horrific uh, incidents that, that i can think of is a hapless i think she was she was an indigent beggar woman who was raped in one of the police stations of calcutta and 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 her rapists were members of the left affiliated police association so that that is that is the transition from political violence to criminal violence that is happening india today uh, which now which now is petrified to write or say anything against the west bengal government and we know why at that time was very brave and arun puri himself led the investigation in one of the elections and in a in a village fingers were chopped off for uh, of of villagers who did not vote for the cpim so if you if you go into india today's archives you will still find uh, uh, reports of that investigation and it was an it was an amazing and excellent investigation which india today did at a time when india today mattered uh, and uh, the the point which i'm trying to make is the transition from political violence to criminal violence starts happening and it continues it gathers speed during the last decade of uh, marxist rule at 2011 the marxists get booted out because of the criminal violence that had come to grip the state and that was to change but it doesn't change because the same criminals who flew the red flag became uh, flag bearers of the trinomul congress and the deployment of criminal violence to assert political power political authority political corruption to enable political corruption that continues from 2011 to 2022 so now there is nothing political about the violence it is entirely criminal violence after winning the election the tmc uh, goes and rapes women who did not vote tmc Uh, after winning the election tmc workers go and murder people who worked for the bjp after winning the election tmc workers go and chase out and people from entire villages who then have to flee and take uh, refuge in assam 
There is nothing political about it. This is criminal. And, and that criminalization of violence, that, that use of criminals, the deployment of criminals, the, the adoption of criminals to indulge in violence as an instrument of state terror and violence in West Bengal today really is an instrument of state terror. That is, that is, the, that is the difference uh, between what is happening today and what began as, uh, uh, as a violence as a very romantic concept during the freedom struggle, then that evolves into political violence and then that degenerates into criminal violence. 2019 uh, NCRB record shows that West Bengal has the highest incidence. High, and after that, West Bengal sending it, stopped sending any. For the last two years, West Bengal has refused to share data with NCRB. Because West Bengal thinks that, uh, uh, the, 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 that India is not a nation, that, uh, that, uh, that it, is a, it is a republic on its own and it doesn't need to share data. So the last time the data was shared, 2019, uh, the data shows that the incidence of political violence, it is called political violence, but I insist on calling it criminal violence, is the highest mm -hmm. in West Bengal. I'm just trying to digest all these things as you say. How does marketing happen in Bengal that does No. Look, I I, 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 I am not some great economist who can start prescribing prescriptions for West Bengal, but recently IFB, the IFB Agro, the liquor manufacturing company, they called a board meeting and said that we will set aside 40 crores for electoral bonds, not because they want to fund political parties, but as protection money. They don't mention which party they are seeking protection from, but their operations are in West Bengal. They say that state excise department officials have been harassing them, have been demanding money, have been, have been doing all kinds of stuff. They say that they have complained to the political leadership, but the political leadership has done nothing. To stop this and now they are they are happy because they don't want to wind up their business uh, so they are, they are just they are just creating a legitimate and legal uh, fund which which will be used as protection money that is the state of the economy in west bengal when mamta banerjee came to power in 2011 the public debt of west bengal was around 1.5 lakh crores. Today, the public debt of West Bengal is five point, around 5.6 lakh crores. What is the public debt of Sri Lanka? I am told the, the, the substantial portion of the debt, which is sort of uh, weighing down Sri Lanka, is around 6 lakh crores. Not the entirety, but the, but but the bit which is which is sort of which has turned into a millstone, uh, and and Mamta Banerjee has the gumption to issue us to to make public assertions 
that India's economy is in a worse situation than uh, Sri Lanka's. Chief Minister of a state which has 5.6 lakh crore public debt says that the, the country's economy is in a bad situation. She has no money to but pay salaries. She has no money for any new projects. Her All the projects are held up in West Bengal. And she says this. You dare question her. You dare challenge her. Look at the way media people were beaten up and assaulted. Brutalized. Brutalized. And, and, and they were just brutalized mercilessly during the uh, um, local elections, recent local elections. There is video footage. There is photographic evidence. Everything exists. And the brutalization was done by the TMC. How, I mean, how would you describe that violence? The media in West Bengal is so compromised by the crumbs which they get from the TMC government that they will not write about it, even if their own get killed. So, so how would you describe that violence as political violence? That is criminal violence. Criminal violence which is deployed for, uh, for domination uh, of political power. So when... these, these facts need to be told again and again because ours is a country which is blissfully happy uh, uh, of, you know, which is blissfully ignorant and blissfully happy uh, about uh, not knowing either what has happened in the past, what is happening right now, and what the future foretolds, future holds for them. What is the solution? <laughs> solution, is solution? The pe people have to rise. See, frankly, Kushal, I am not interested... Uh, I mean, because it is the TM, it's not as if because it's the TMC or before that it was the left and in between it was the Congress and way before that it was the Congress, not that. But people have to come up with an alternative. This cannot be the choice. This cannot be the, uh, be the preferred instrument of governance. A party which entirely rests on, on, on such horrific violence to, to sort of dominate. And that's why I said, you, you, you read out my tweet, that yesterday's class war is today's Khalahobi. Yeah, it, it definitely does sound like that. Actually, viewers disturb question Because again, reason you might find question but a lot of these kids who watch this podcast and what whether they listen to it on the audio-only version or here, they're actually young kids. So they really don't know a lot about the history. So I'll start with the most basic question. And I know this is a very young guy. So did any political party try to improve law and order in Bengal or they all see political violence as a tool to maintain power? No, I mean, you know, 
I'm sorry, but that, this is what I was explaining all along. That mm. that violence at one point in time was uh, uh, it, it just happened. I mean, and and it was like people protesting. And I gave the example of trams being burnt over second second class tram fares being raised by two paise or one paise or something. But from that point onwards, when 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 political parties uh, sort of discover the power, the street power of violence, violence is used by political parties to sort of establish themselves or establish their dominance both in urban and rural areas through different means and then violence also branches out you have you have the marxist uh, violence you have the far left violence of the naxals and you have counter violence of the state and then it becomes violence of the criminals and those criminals are actually agents of the state. They are, they are, they are, they are the debt collectors of the state, through who, through whom the state exercises, or the ruling party or the ruling government exercises its power, and not only establishes but perpetuates its con control over the state over the people. So where is the question of improving law and order? The question of law and order does not arise over So, okay. Someone has asked, how has the criminalization also impacted, I guess, the police in terms of the morale of the police and also how, what does it have in terms of impact on people maybe opting for, you know, careers in the armed forces or it's just basically they just migrate out of the state i left the state i migrated from the state and i can tell you n number of people who migrated along with me at least in mm. journalism uh, recently there was a video of train loads of bengalis who migrate from west bengal looking for jobs in Tamil Nadu, Kerala. There are areas in Calcutta and other towns of Cal other towns of Bengal, entire areas, entire colonies, which are like old age homes. You will only find uh, old people over there because their children have migrated. So that is that is the sad reality of West Bengal. The other part is that what about the police? The mm. the police and any other law and order machinery which is under the control of the state does what the state wants the police to do. So please don't have any great high moral standards or service standards from the bureaucracy 
when your political class is so compromised. I can't imagine a police officer risking his career or her career by going against the against the ruling party in West Bengal. It never happened that way. And as far as the state police is concerned, that is the non-IPS part of the police, they are all political hires. They have been hired to serve the political party in power. So the question of what it does to the morale of the police does not arise. The police is so severely compromised that they have no morale left to be compromised. Okay, a lot of people have asked this question. I guess I have to ask it in multiple ways. Like, kisina buchai, but the BJP has made inroads in Tripura, but why has it not successfully gone in Bengal? Uh, do you think? Um, the BJP could be the political alternative in Bengal is one kind of a question. Uh, I'm just reiterating all of them. Uh, somebody has asked, what is the probability that if BJP comes to power, they will do also do they end up doing the same thing? I mean, everything because at the end of the day, it seems as if all roads lead to only one question. Is BJP the solution? BJP coming there is the solution? What can what can people hope? Because it's so shocking. See, I can understand everybody listening this, to this because aapne basically start se kar end tak jitni bhi political options thi, United Front tha, Congress thi, Communist hai, aur abhi TMC hai. Agar wo sare violent hai, to natural ek hi option reh jayegi, wo hai BJP. So everybody is going to eventually ask that. See, first of all, Kushal, because I mean, I have limitations. I don't want to talk about the BJP. I understand that that would be that I would not be fair to my to my job. That is one part of it. Second part is people do not people outside West Bengal. They do not realize what political entrenchment means. How long did it take? I mean, people who ask this question, I often tell them, how long did it take? Please go back, Google for it, or try, for heaven's sake, read some books. Find out how long did it take to remove Lalu Yadav from power in Bihar. Everybody knew that it was Jangal Raj over there. The people knew, the bureaucracy knew, the police knew. But how long did it take to actually remove him from power? Therefore, to think that any alternative, BJP, XYZ, will just sail in and remove an entrenched political party from power is is that is not going to happen that is wishful thinking but if you look at the results for the bjp to go up to 70 plus in one election by itself 
was a huge breakthrough. Now, how the party builds on that is that is for the party to decide. I cannot comment. And I understand. And you don't need to comment on that. But I just wanted to lay. So these two questions are not about uh, politics per se, but these are more sociological questions and historical questions. So one person has asked, how much of the of a role uh, when it comes to, obviously, uh, this is, I am assuming this question to be post uh, the you know, the bifurcation of Pakistan and which is now Bangladesh, how much of a role does illegal immigration also now play in this political and criminal violence in Bengal? And it has it also become engulfed in religiosity too now? Illegal immigrants till, till they reach a threshold are always very submissive, very sly. Uh, they quietly go around trying to get a ration card or a, now you have the Aadhaar card or a voter ID. But once illegal immigrants cross a, cross a threshold level, a certain threshold, you know, it's, it's a demographic thing. Once you cross that threshold and if there is a supportive political regime, then then you also become a part of the of the violent political process that exists in a in a, in a state so a, a, an illegal bangladeshi immigrant in west bengal today would naturally feel emboldened and would think that this will further uh, entrench him in the state to participate in the criminal violence that is happening. So by nature, it is criminal. The violence is criminal. But by extension, it sort of uh, gets the practitioner of this violence uh, political patronage. He or she becomes a foot soldier of the political party in power. So that's how it plays out. Now, is there a religious streak to it? That that is secondary, but that, that definitely comes in. Again, when you cross a second threshold demographically, then the assertion becomes more religious. It becomes most uh, more, more fanatic, and that fanaticism comes attached with violence, and that violence is uh, communal in nature. And we are not really discussing that today. Hmm. Now, this is a history-based question because you were talking about how the revolutionary spirit in the... I guess this is more... They must have taken off from the bit where you were talking about how the revolutionary spirit was, uh, you know, there in Bengal during the British's time. So I guess what they have asked is, what was... Uh, have you done any historical... Like, in the early 1800s onwards, what... When does the genesis happen of this? Like, was it during the British era or where? where is the exact genesis? So the exact word is, surely the genesis of these violent tendencies lies further in history. Could you shed some light on 1800s Bengal, Dada? No, actually, the, the Hindu Bengali has faced violence in various forms. So the last... Uh, Muslim ruler of West Bengal 
uh, and and this I don't I I'm I'm just the little bit of history that I have read and records of the time. So Sirajuddaullah, Nawab Sirajuddaullah was was a ruler who had no moral scruples. And uh, his men, you know, in Bengal, and I think that would be true for large parts of the country, uh, the practice of indoor bathing came much, much later. So the, 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 the normal practice was that people would bathe in a nearby river, uh, stream, or ponds, village ponds. That is where they would go for their daily bath. And in Bengal, the practice was that men, because they would leave for work, they would bathe in the morning. Women, after they had done their uh, household work, they would come and bathe in the afternoon in groves. And Sirajuddaullah would send out his men to pick up young girls from while they were bathing and bring them back to his palace. And that is where the practice begins in West Bengal, where women, to begin with women, start stopping going out uh, from their homes to bathe in the village pond. Now, I would, I, I would argue that that was, that was violence too. And such... Such was the terror that Siraj had unleashed that after the Battle of Palasi in 1757, uh, Bengal actually celebrated, the Hindus of Bengal celebrated it as freedom from tyranny. Now, you had other, and when the British come in, you had other uprisings happening. You had the Sanyasi Rebellion. So people, please read up about the Sanyasi Rebellion, where they, mm. where the Sanyasis rise in revolt against a pilgrimage tax. And if you read, uh, it is available in English. If you read uh, Bankim Chandra, uh, Bankim Chandra Chattopadhyay's book. Anand Mutt, you will get a backdrop of the times. And uh, contrary to the rest of the country, where, or at least the north and central parts and western parts of the country, where, where 1857 uh, is uh, seen as seen as India's first war of independence and how uh, people came together to throw out the British and they failed and how sad it was. But in Bengal, 1857 is not seen as a disastrous uh, end to the Sepoy mutiny. Uh, someone, a, a noted writer in Bengal once told me, just imagine... I mean, if, if 1857 had not ended the way it had, you would, mm. I mean, you would not be sitting here talking to me. So, mm. there is this, on a lighter vein, there is this thing in Bengal, that Bengal celebrates independence on three occasions. 
And uh, to come back to your question on the 18th century thing, I would I would urge people to read up the Sanyasi rebellion, and that that will give them some context of what was happening at that point of time. Yeah, I guess you know before we wrap up, I will ask you the last because that has been the theme. I mean. People again and again keep on asking. They keep on asking. Uh, you know, it is surprising. Why am I telling you this is? Because, you know, I try to read sporadically what the live viewers are also saying. You will be shocked. Logon ko idea nahi hai ki Bengal ki history mein kitni baar president's rule ho chuka hai. Because a lot of people will go on saying, but then, you know, why not like Kashmir say, you know, you make it a union territory or you put the governor's rule or you would see people i don't think people like good we did this today dada because yeah hota hai ki logon ko kuch pata hi nahi hota aur unki koi galti nahi hai ki aadmi kitna janega at the end of the day jaan jaan ke ek insaan how much will a person know and you it's almost as if history repeats itself that people do not realize that you know there was president's rule in 1968, then president's rule in 1970, 19th March, 30th July, 1970, 29th June, 1971. You know, these were all incidences where the president rules were applied. So it clearly is not that, a, that's not a solution. I, I, but, get, I, I get where you're coming from, Kushal. Uh, but very quickly, you could get away with imposing president's rule in the 1960s, 1950s, the first time president's rule was imposed was when uh, Nehru government uh, sacked the first elected uh, communist government in the country and possibly the whole world, which is the EMS Nambudripad government in Kerala. Uh, but today, if you try to impose president's rule, uh, your, your judiciary is now... Uh, you have a very activist judiciary. You do not have uh, a constitutional judiciary. They may keep on talking about constitutional law and constitutional morality, etc., etc. But in reality, it is an activist judiciary. Uh, there is no way that the that that the government, any government, whether it is this government or any government can actually get away with imposing president's rule. Don't go by Jammu and Kashmir. Jammu and Kashmir, because Article 370 was removed, simultaneously, uh, the state was broken into two parts. You, you separated Ladakh from it, and you uh, clubbed Jammu uh, and Kashmir into another entity. And therefore, you you to 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 sort of get things settled down, you declared both of them as union territories, and and till such time elections are held, uh, whenever they are held, because you had to get delimitation done. Also, delimitation was done all over the country except in Jammu and Kashmir. So, to to that extent, Jammu and Kashmir is a different uh, ball game altogether. But don't forget that even uh, the scrapping of Article 370, the, the 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 breaking of Jammu and Kashmir into two separate entities, Ladakh and Jammu and Kashmir, 
all these things, all these decisions, removal of Article 35. So uh, all these things have, I mean, there are numerous petitions which have been filed in the Supreme Court and they are pending over there. So okay. I, I, would, I would shudder to think that any government would go ahead and sack the government of West Bengal and impose president's rule because the Supreme Court will sit at one in the morning and say, how dare you, and restore that government. And after that, the resultant violence, the violence which will follow that, there is no way, there is no way you can control that violence. And because of your, because of your political action, the criminality that will be let loose over there, what Mamta Banerjee calls khala hobe, uh, if, if when that happens, it it will be a bloodbath out over there. I I, I wouldn't want that to happen under any circumstances. That that is that that is for me at least that is something which which shouldn't be done. But I innocence a question, which are last question before. And to all, all your listeners, if they are still around, each one of you please read the three lists in the constitution: the state list, the central list, and the concurrent list. Law and order is a state subject, and there is no way the central government can directly intervene other than ask for reports. Uh, and if there is an absolute collapse of constitution, uh, constitutional governance, so there has to be a collapse of constitutional governance to step in and impose president's rule. But fulfilling the criteria of collapse of constitution in a state under an activist judiciary is a near impossibility. It's a near impossibility. I mean, today the courts are saying that, you know, if it is a scam of, uh, if it's a fraud of Das Bara Karore ka fraud, it is not a fraud. So that is the judiciary you have today. Yeah. Last question, literally this will be my last question. And... Is there anything we as citizens of India outside Bengal and common people do? What can we do? Literally, I think it's a very important question. What can we do for this solution? What I would say is that learn from Bengal. Don't let, don't let hmm. similar stuff happen in your own state. Just, just don't let it happen. There is very precious little you can do about West Bengal. That has to be done by the people of West Bengal, the political parties of West Bengal, the if there is at all any Bhadralok left in West Bengal, which I doubt very much, they have to figure out what to do. But as for you, Please don't let your state state follow in the footsteps uh, footsteps of West Bengal. I think I think that was as honest as it gets, Dada. Uh, I I understand where you're coming from. I understand your pain, and um, it's it's a, it's 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 basically heartbreaking that you know 
your fellow citizens have come to this and this is the political climate in the state of west uh, in the state of bengal but it is what it is and i i'm an eternal optimist i believe bengal will rise again bengal will change itself that's just my nature i am always optimistic but uh, uh once again dada uh, uh thank you very much for coming and sharing this knowledge with us uh, no matter how heart wrenching it is people need to know about this especially young kids so once again on behalf of everybody who listens to or watches this podcast thank you very much thank you pushal it was all it was a pleasure as always talking to you um how much of it actually uh, people find useful is for them to figure out but i honestly feel that uh, the biggest injustice we do to our own country is not to figure out its past not to know of its past not to know what happened before we were born or before we came of age because history is not something which begins with your coming of age and i wish people the young people especially and i don't mean this as a as a sly comment or as a as a carping comment but i wish they would read a lot more they would read books a lot more they would uh, and and the most amazing thing is that when we were growing up when we were children when we were growing up when we were in college there was no internet today i can sit at my computer and i can read a million things which about west bengal or about india in 1930s 1940s 1950s 1960s 1970s 1980s primary sources just old issues of epw if you were to just read them some of the essays over there are brilliant capsules of history if you if you were to just read research papers which which get published but nobody takes note of them some of them is some of them are really really uh, they are they are treasure troves of facts of history and i personally don't buy into this line that oh we were taught the wrong history we were not taught the right history we were not taught any history i i read the same history as you did kushal or as anybody else read it and uh, but i was always curious and i and i wanted to find out a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and that's what people need to do so so long as you treat history as something which you have to deal with uh, because all your in all your life you just want to become an engineer or a doctor which is fine i mean uh, no problem with that uh, so why should i waste my time and effort reading up history and then later in life when you realize you missed out on so much you start reading this pamphlets which are which are basically twisted history or or or, or an individual's perspective on history and then that is worse so even if you were to read uh, books that came out during the period in the 1950s 1960s 1970s a whole lot of them there are and they are available they are available their digital copies are available on the net they are available in public libraries but the point i, I know i'm i'm boring everybody but the point which, no 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 you're not you know you're not 
is that people need to get, the young people especially, they need to get back to reading. And unless they do that, uh, I don't think there will be any substantive change anywhere. Uh, I, I hear you and that's why I try to read as much as possible and uh, I, I hope each and every one of you who has uh, watched this on YouTube or is going to be listening to it on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you guys can, you know, uh, consume the content of this podcast. Listen to what Kanchanda has said. Take his word seriously. Uh, I always jump on the opportunity. Every time I get the opportunity to speak with Kanchanda, I, I jump on it because I learn and I, and I mean this, I mean, I've told this to him many times offline too. I, I learn every time I speak with him. And uh, Kushal, I remember the name of the book. I remember Anji. the name of the book. Uh, it's called The Lowland. Lowland, uh, by, all right. By, by Chumpa Lahiri. And uh, it's not a very expensive book. But I think people, if you are really interested in knowing the foundation of uh, violence in West Bengal as you see it today, uh, you you should read that book, uh, and 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 that will that will give you an amazing insight. Uh, it's it's a very fine finely crafted book, and as I said, it's not very expensive, easily available. Please do read it. So, guys, duh, listen to Kanchinda. Go and read that book. And now listen to me. So, we'll end today's discussion over here. Please subscribe to the Charvak Podcast channel. Like this video. Comment on it. And share it with your family members. Like Kanchinda said, what should the rest of India do? At least learn the lessons. So that we don't repeat the same cycle in other parts of the country. And if you can, if you want... You can support the Charbuck podcast either on YouTube or on Patreon or on UPI or by buying the merchandise. I will see you guys next time. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.